crack them open. Welcome everybody to uh, this week's episode of the Bitcoin Happy Hour. This episode is brought to you by Give Bitcoin. It is the only way that you can both give Bitcoin and teach those that you're giving the Bitcoin to about how it works, why we believe in it, and what we believe the future of this revolutionary technology is about. I used it to give to some of my friends that I uh, stayed with in Belgium this past month as a Christmas present. I also intend to give it to my father who's always kind of been into Bitcoin and really likes to hear me talk about it. He's an Austrian at heart, he's a gold bug, but he's never taken the full leap. So I'm hoping that uh, once I give it to him this Christmas, he'll be able to really educate himself, learn a little bit more about the technology and learn about how it can be used as a potentially macro hedge against inflation and irresponsible government monetary <laughs> policy. So if you haven't checked out Give Bitcoin yet, uh, go to givebitcoin.io and give Bitcoin. Happy hour. Happy hour. Oh yeah, happy hour. Givebitcoin.io. Uh, please use our referral link and uh, yeah, give Bitcoin this season, guys. It really is the best way to get people into cryptocurrency. It's or the sorry, only, it's Bitcoin. the only gift worth giving. I mean, I'm definitely gonna use it. I'm pretty sure, like, other than like a purse or whatever for my girlfriend, it's 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 gonna be Bitcoin yeah. across the board. Well, it's it's really cool. Like, so just to like uh, before we dive into the topics, like, I do kind of want to shill this just a little bit more. Like, they are a sponsor, but I have used it, and um, the interface is really clean. It's super easy. The fees are low. It's like two percent on anything above a hundred dollars, uh, or maybe fifty dollars. I think it's a hundred. Um, two percent over anything over a hundred. And anything else under 100 is just two bucks. I think the minimum is like $2 that you can give. But if you're giving that much, kind of stingy. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's got uh, 12 chapters of educational resources. They're still rolling them out. But uh, it time locks the Bitcoin that you give the people for anywhere from a year to five years. Now, it's not time locked on chain. It's in custody at uh, Prime Trust Bank in Nevada. They do a lot of Bitcoin and uh, crypto banking for a lot of businesses. Very trustworthy. And you got to sign paperwork and all this stuff. Uh, if they don't end up claiming the Bitcoin, you never get charged for the purchase, so you'll get your money back to you. Uh, but it's just a great all in one. Also, find your friends if they don't take it. Yeah, honestly, like I would like, but seriously, like if they don't take it, you're right. Like, what are you doing? Like, I'm giving you free Bitcoin. Um, but the great thing about it is, is it lets people educate themselves about Bitcoin and kind of learn about self sovereignty, running your own node, all of that good stuff before they actually take control of the asset themselves. Uh, so it's like an all in one education and sending platform. You can also buy Bitcoin through it. Um, and it's subject to the same time log. So you can buy it for yourself, stack sats. Dude, it's awesome. I mean, seriously, it's 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 on the come up. But anyway, let's dive into uh, the topics for today. What do we got? Uh, we're going to be talking about CoinShare's latest uh, update. On, came out uh, today. Yeah, it came out today. Did it come out today? Maybe yesterday. The mining report? Yeah, the, the December 20, 2019 mining report. So it's the state of the mining uh, network. So we'll be going over some trends and statistics from that. Uh, then we'll be diving into uh, Jill Carlson's op-ed for CoinDesk entitled Cryptocurrency is Most Useful for Breaking Laws and Social Constructs. And then we will also be talking about the role of media in the crypto and Bitcoin industries um, as uh, kind of um, uh, taking the topic also from one of CoinDesk's year in review op-eds. Uh, this one from David Morris, uh, formerly of Breaker, now of Fortune. Uh, and he's writing about the year in crypto journalism. Truth will always be human. But to kick things off, let's talk about uh, CoinShares mining uh, research. And I think really the key trends that at least I saw from this uh, most recent report is uh, the 
transaction and mining, well, all mining revenue transactions and block rewards for 2019 is uh, on pace to be uh, 5.4 billion in 2019. That is marginally down from 2018 when it was 5.5. But that's everything fees, mining, re- mining revenue, like total. Gross. Correct. Yeah, and uh, but that's up significantly from 2017 when it was 3.4 billion. Um, uh, wow. Another trend that is interesting is uh, CoinShares estimates that the average price for creating Bitcoin across the board for all of these miners uh, over the course of the year is uh, uh, 6,300. Uh, so that puts them at current Bitcoin prices at 71 to 7200 puts most of them in profit over the course of the year, they say. Uh, that's kind. The price has been higher than that pretty much the whole year. Yeah, for sure. Um, except uh, for, well, except for the beginning. Since like April? Okay, yeah. I guess. That's true. Oh, no. Since the end of bear market pricing. So, but hold on. So that first point <laughs> before you go into the rest. Bear market bear. It, the price is lower than it is was in seven, uh, 2017. Maybe not on average, but now it's lower than like 10000 but the mining revenue is a lot greater. Yeah, there's more revenue. And also the share of revenue that is coming from transaction fees has dropped significantly. So from since when? Sin, from, some, uh, since 2017. So in percentage terms, this is from the report, quote, in percentage terms, this would correspond to a 3.2% fee to reward ratio for 2019, down from 5.2% in 2018, and a whopping 16.4% in 2017. So, I mean, that's like a pretty significant decrease. Well, but also 2017 was when you had like uh, Roger Ver or whoever it was clogging up right. the Bitcoin blockchain, making all the transaction fees. When it was like high. $30 or $50, right? Also, that was back when uh, uh, Bitcoin prices, I mean, at the start of 2017, Bitcoin prices were what, like 900 bucks? Yeah. So like, uh, you know, if you want to look at the block, block reward of Bitcoin for those blocks, it was like minuscule compared to the end of 2017. So. Right, but it's still even decreased like 40% year over year. And that I think is a direct uh, direct consequence of SegWit. And that's what they say in the report. And also the transaction volumes have decreased a little bit since the bull market. So yeah, I would um, bet it's more so decrease in transaction volumes overall. Than, yeah. And probably decrease in the, the clutter that was in uh, uh, kind of the end of 2017 when Bitcoin Cash was trying to. Sure, make but Segwit's no doubt well, making an effect. Let, like, so, what's, yeah. what's the full thought here? So, the, the fees are down, is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, fees so, are down, but uh, miners are still making as much or more money. But I guess my point is like the f- proportion of fee to block reward ratio for miners as a uh, proportion of their revenue is down. Okay, can we take a step back because I'm confused. How is the revenue from miners up this year when the block reward hasn't changed in t- since 2017, but the fees are less renewables. than they are from 2017? More miners are using renewables. That'd be more profit. Miners. That, okay, wait, no, mean? hold up. No, it's because the price is consistently higher. The price from 2017 was only above 10000 for like three weeks. So the average price of 2017 you're saying is like two or three K because like it is, it, yeah, it's lower. It spikes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely. we're on the average higher than gotcha. Definitely. That okay, but so generally speaking, this this makes complete sense. Like the mania has been gone. The price the the fees are always highest during mania, during peak trading time. Fees and, and trading really go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um so you know we don't have that situation and then like Colin alluded to um, the network is getting more efficient. Batching is happening. Better fee estimation on wallets. Uh, UTXO selection. Like all of these best practices, like are forced when the prices go crazy in 2017, and then 
you know, the fallout is improved efficiencies. Right. So to put this into perspective in terms of how much people are paying for fees, the total fees um, are 171 million for 2019. That's annualized. That's down from 284 million in 2018 and 554 million in 2017. Um, I mean, that's a significant decrease that, again, I would say, like, um, definitely there are fewer transactions than in the go-go days of 2017, but I think that you can't just attribute it to that. I think that a lot of this is probably SegWit as well. I mean, because if you look at how how much SegWit slashes fees, I mean, you're saving sometimes like 80 to 90%, depending on the time. Like, I've seen, like, if you go to Block, Blockstream's got a pretty good, uh, their Block, uh, their Block Explorer. Yeah, their Block Explorer is pretty good about usually delineating that. Um, the other thing that is also really nice to see in this report, uh, we saw it in their last report that came out in, I think it was July. Um, they estimate that the um, penetration of renewable energy into the Bitcoin mining market is about 73% right now. Um, so just another good statistic to throw out anytime someone talks about boiling Bitcoin boiling the oceans. Because the reality is like people are looking for renewables and half the time this renewable energy is wasted anyway. Like what happens when the energy from a turbine is expect being that used? number to go up? I think absolutely. I think that's going to trend towards well, because like if you expect renewable energies in every industry or like the penetration of renewables in uh, energy production to trend towards 100%, which it will, then this will eventually also trend towards 100%, I believe. Bitcoin mining is a heat-seeking missile pointed at where the energy costs are the cheapest, right? Bitcoin miners, like, you know, it's great that they're using renewables. They don't care whether they're using renewables or whether they're using coal. It's all about, like, what's their margin? Like, uh, uh, so right now, it's way cheaper to use renewables. They're going to keep using renewables. If there's more renewables created, they're going to probably use those renewables over using more expensive, you know, uh, oil and, and natural gas. It'd be gas really hard coal. for natural, uh, like, fossil fuel energy to be cheaper not than renewables. not really because uh, so this is actually it yeah it depends on where you are so well yeah well so like for instance that, that yeah like if you were in texas where they're yeah. basically flaring and venting off natural gas by the hundred cube hundred million cubic meters like per year then you know like you're going to be using natural gas because there's not any hydro penetration in texas but like for instance so steve barber but there's good wind energy in texas that's true we but, actually have an article that covered all this uh, yeah, covered all the different uh, mining companies, and we have an infographic right. that shows like the different. Yeah, uh, it's super cool. Definitely yeah. check that we'll, out. It was we'll one of our one of our most recent cover stories. Kind of looks at like uh, mining by geographic region. Jesse um, Wilms. No, Jesse Wilms. Yeah, yeah. great, we'll great piece. Gotta, gotta love her. But um, there's one company, uh, Steve Barber's Upstream Data, actually is doing work with this. So in Texas, in oil fields, you basically have these natural gas vents that are just constantly spewing natural gas that's wasted because they don't have anything to do with it. Like it's too expensive for them. It's not economically feasible for them to transport it. There aren't pipelines to transport it. So they just vent it or flare it off to try to meet regulations. So Steve has been installing these, what he calls ohm mining rigs like in these oil fields. And these oil companies are taking the natural gas that would have been wasted to mining Bitcoin with it, yeah. which is really, really awesome. So Bitcoin's um, essentially like a synthetic battery. Like if you're correct. wasting energy, you might as well save it in the Bitcoin network mm -hmm. and mint Bitcoin. Bitcoin mining is a battery. It's a well, good way to think about it. Oh, it's one of the coolest things. It's like it's like modern day alchemy. It's like you're literally taking energy and making it digital gold. And of course, we think it's digital gold because we're all indoctrinated. But like it is like you're basically making you're taking one resource and turning it into another, and that's fast. But we do that in other ways, like uh, 
power companies will uh, take excess power when the grid's you know already uh, uh, saturated and they're producing too much. They'll use it to pump water up a hill. And then later on, sure. while they decrease the amount of flow going through their system, they'll just let the water mm-hmm. run back down the hill and use a little hydroelectric. Like there's yeah. other ways that it you have. Right, but it. yeah, but that's like just capturing energy from energy. Like with right. Bitcoin, you're capturing like – you're taking energy and you're creating. Well, you're storing that energy. Like you're creating value, and you're creating value by engraving a tra- like making a transaction impossible to double spend. Yeah, it, it's, um, it's I like would say amber. it's still. You can think of it as a battery. It's a good way to think of it. Also, I, like that amber analogy, like that Nick Zabel used, where oh, yeah. it's just layers on layers, and like. Well, that's the proof is. of work. That's a proof. That's yeah. that, that's how that's how Bitcoin creates uh, finality, right? right? Oh wait, just a so, quick thought. Like a lot of people talk about, you know. Is Bitcoin mining using renewable energy? I would even go as far as argue that Bitcoin mining will make renewable energy more viable for everyone else to use it. Because now, if you have this renewable energy that is always on and might not be, you know, and it might be too far away for civilization to capture it, or it, uh, or it might be uh, too difficult to justify, you know, building the dam there because you're not going to capture enough revenue from just the you know just from nighttime activity from the local town then you know bitcoin mining kind of like smooths out that demand and makes it so that they have dependable demand no matter what and that will enable them to produce more energy producing infrastructure that's not you know gas coal and that kind of stuff this also goes back to bitcoin mining being a battery like the reason why tesla bought solar city was that like the thing that legitimizes solar power is being able to store excess solar power into a battery this is the same thing. I guess, like, but the thing is, it's not really a battery, though, because you're not storing energy. You're converting energy to something else. Like, you can't reuse that energy later. I guess there's sure. one well, problem with that Well, you're selling it on the spot to a buyer. Yeah. That- yeah, I mean, you are. So, like, you can still sell the energy, but, like, that's not storing. Like, it's right. not, That's like, why I said it's like a synthetic battery. Yeah, I guess, yeah, right. I guess I, I like that. You're, you're charging up the synthetic battery. But analogies need to be airtight. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people will try to analogize this. It's something completely new. It's a it universal is. buyer of last resort for energy. Um, so the big thing, the big takeaway from that report was that like 60-something percent of mining is still in China, right? Thank you for, you know what, Brandon? You read my mind, man. I was just about to say before we uh, move on to the next topic, it was like 65%. And then I believe uh, it is 35%. So there's 65 percent is concentrated in China, and I think it's like something. Was it 50 percent is in the Sichuan region alone? I think it's like 54 percent. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it was. It was 54 percent is in the Sichuan region alone, and out of the remaining 35 percent of miners, the report reads: We estimate 31 percent of global hash rate production is evenly split between Washington State, not DC, New York, British Columbia, Alberta, Quebec, Newfoundland, uh, Labrador, Iceland, Norway, Sweden. Norway, Sweden and the Siberian Federal District of Russia, Kazakhstan, Georgia, and Iran. Um, With the exception, I think, of Iran, the one thing most of those regions have in common is an abundance of renewable energy. Well, the Um, Sichuan region region is... Especially, yeah. I mean, it's just like Hydro City. Right. Like, why is 54% in Sichuan? I bet probably 99% of that 54% is hydroelectric energy. Yeah, and they talk about that too. Yeah, Sichuan has 90% uh, renewables penetration. Um, Washington has 92, Norway has 99, Newfoundland and Labrador has 95, Quebec has 100, that's impressive, British Columbia has 98, 
New York has 45, Iceland has 100. So, so Kazakhstan and Iran seem to be the outliers there, along with Alberta, Canada. But Kazakhstan has really cheap coal. Yeah, they have yeah. tons of coal mines there. So, like, like I said in the beginning, like it's a heat-seeking missile, and it's going to just right. keep finding these areas where uh, it's always going to always going to look, uh, look for the cheapest energy. And CoinShares, CoinShares uh, research. Sorry, one last thing. They uh, their average for the miners that they took into consideration is like they have an average electricity cost of like four cents per kilowatt, which is dirt I think that's cheap. down from the last one. I think uh, the last I one said it was, it was like three. five. It, was it? I, th- I thought it said three in the last one, but you could be right. Um, Mining well, power Here's an idea cheaper. here. The halving is going to flush out a lot of inefficient miners, quote unquote. It like will. If you can't get four, three, two cent electricity cost, you are probably mining the Bitcoin network inefficiently. So Which the means- Bitcoin network is just always getting more efficient as it flushes out like these weak... These, these weak mining operations. But you could also and, make the argument that that would concentrate power further. Or like, or you can make no. the argument that geographically well, forces dispersion where there are points of cheap electricity. Efficient. If anything, it actually forces it, it well, actually forces decentralization. And, but, but like, I don't know, for the Chinese miners where their hydropower is subsidized by the Chinese government, like... We already know that's not going to last forever. Right? I mean, but it's but it's fifty four percent. Like it hasn't really fluctuated. I mean, much. it was probably like ninety percent a while ago. And like mm-hmm. with that being yeah. said, like the Bitcoin hash rate has doubled since the last report. So the forty percent by itself. Let's erase all the Chinese miners. The the forty percent by itself is what we were is where the entire network was at hash rate wise. I disagree. A year ago, I think the happening because like okay first of all i think the happening is just going to drive a 2x in the bitcoin price and everyone's going to be okay anyways totally but well, that's if, not immediately if that's it's not gonna immediately. if it's going to wash out the weak hands of miners uh it's going to wash out the ones that don't have special you know contracts with governments where they're getting huge subsidized uh uh tickets yeah. and uh or like you know power and at that point like they'll be better off buying bitcoin instead of buying yeah well yeah but like uh uh I would be wary of that in terms of mining centralization. Like there are countries that are heavily subsidizing it uh, uh, or have really cheap power that like, it's not like there's some, you know, well of unused power somewhere over in X area that like we haven't used yet and we haven't discovered it yet. And like, once we do all the miners are going to go there, right? Like miners are pretty much, you know, uh, uh, felt out kind of what the energy situation is for the world at this point. So that's, like, that's the completely not true. There's so much more power to unlock. Well, yeah, but like, like we may we point. may find oil in X place, but like if we find oil in X place, it's going to quickly be dispersed everywhere. Yeah, uh, that's, as efficiently as possible. So I gotta say, I, I kind of one? I gotta say that I agree with Brandon here in the sense that like, so let's just take like Tennessee as a touchstone for this. Tennessee doesn't have much renewable energy, but we got we, hydroelectric. We got hydroelectric, right? But yet the average electricity cost in Tennessee is still twelve to fourteen cents per kilowatt hour. So, like, there's no way you will never be commercially viable in Tennessee unless the Tennessee government decides to give you a special deal on the electricity. Right. Which- so, unless you see stuff like that happening. Mm-hmm. But, again, I'm skeptical that that will happen at the same rate that we need it to to really distribute the mining uh, mining hash rate. Because, ultimately. It's not going to happen anymore. They can't also, well, let's, let him finish. Well, just because, interrupt, because China still, like, the Szechuan region still provides, like, it's like two per, like two cents on the kilowatt hour for energy. There's, like, it's there's a lot of places that are super cheap. Yeah, it there is super cheap. There are a lot of places that are super competitive with that. The, the thing that I'll also pull out there is that Tennessee has something called the TVA, which is, like, the largest power supplier in the entire U.S., uh, Tennessee Valley Authority. I did not know that. They have such a monopoly on uh, power consumption and energy really consumption in, uh, I don't know, probably, uh, but... 
like TVA, you can go through and like kind of look at all the stuff that they've done in terms of being able. They're they're a government company that also has a CEO uh, that like has wiggled its way into like the way that politics works in order to basically control this monopoly on the southeastern area and like much of the U.S. in terms of power consumption, and then like uh, has used that in order to you know make it more difficult for the consumer to get cheap power. So. Like they've been disincentivizing us from being able to have uh, solar power in Tennessee. They've been disincentivizing us for have, having uh, hydroelectric and wind and all this kind of stuff. This is another thing I'm talking about. The countries where they don't do this, the countries where they are incentivizing people to come mine, those are going to centralize mining there. And I feel like that's that's like the thing you have to watch out for. And it's why also you know we need Bitcoin to kind of balance out and we don't need a 50% loss of miners because it's going to centralize mining like crazy. Fun fact, TVA was created in the 1930s as part of FDR's public New works programs, the New Deal. All right. So I think that kind of uh, rounds out that uh, topic. Uh, ultimately, though, go read the report. It actually spells out some pretty positive statistics for the state of mining. Network is super healthy. Awesome trends to key into. All right. So next topic Jill Ruth's op-ed for Coindesk cryptocurrency is Jill most. Uh, did I say Jill Ruth? Sorry, that's her. That's what she goes. Just one her thing on Twitter. But anyway, so Jill Carlson, cryptocurrency is most useful for breaking laws and social constructs. The thesis of this article, if you couldn't uh, kind of gather it by the title, is this idea that cryptocurrency's major use cases are still for uh, engaging in illicit transactions and illicit uh, purchases. Things outside of the state's purview that they don't want you to do. Now, I understand that we have some people who disagree with this. I want to hear dissenting opinions first. So, Any other dissenting other than me? You go, oh, man. Let's, you, well, you take the lead on this one. Tell me why you think this is horseshit. So, well, I, it's not that I don't think that she is directionally correct. I just think it's like, why would you frame it like this? It's like you are saying, hey... You know, instead of saying that um, that Bitcoin is young and art, it's like instead of saying something from like a positive slant, she's like purposely trying to slant it poorly. Like, yes, Bitcoin creates a separate world that doesn't give a shit about the rules of the current system. Like, yes, that's true. That can be useful for breaking the law, but it can also be useful for doing things that have nothing to do with break the law, like escape inflation. Like for a lot of people, escaping inflation is not illegal. Me escaping inflation in the United States today with Bitcoin is 100% legal, and I would argue that there's a massive need and utility for that. So you and that would... is not legal at all. But yes, it's because it operates outside of the existing system. So she could frame it as it's useful for breaking the law, but that's just poor PR and trying to get so, clicks or something. So, so you it's would, not actually true. You would push back against this sentence, by design, cryptocurrency does not solve mainstream problems. Yeah, of course it does. Of course it solves mainstream problems. I think running away from inflation is a mainstream problem. Okay. Yeah, I, I would. So my take on this is like, first and foremost, what she says is like the most uh, 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 edgy way of putting like Bitcoin as a revolution I've ever heard. Uh, but what it, she's it's saying is Bitcoin's PR. a revolution, <laughs> right? Like uh, revolutions push social constructs and, you know, legality. Uh, that's what a revolution's about. Uh she just said it in a way that like was, yeah, I, I would say overtly negative. I don't know if that was her making the title. It could have been, you know, Coindesk write, making the she, title. She, she, no, she made a title. tweet about this with a with a checkbox that is like directly asking, like, is it for breaking the law? 
And she's like, yes, it is. So well, it can be. Like, it's just not. It's not his main goal. I don't think. Well, but what the, what's what's important? I think to to like keep in mind is that ultimately, like, we're here for a revolution. Like, this is a new technology that's going to change lots of social constructs and lots of laws. Like, it, it has to. It's part of like what, the whole point of it. Uh, uh, and so it's, that's not a bad thing. That's a really good thing because it ends up helping everyone in the in the end. Uh, uh, what we don't need to do though is we don't need to like throw out things that are gonna make other people who are just like passing by like turn around and be like oh that's like a, a crime like they're trying to do crime over here like i i get your point like uh, uh our goal is not to uh ostracize the people who aren't part of the system or like aren't part of our system our goal is to create a new system that everyone eventually fomos into because it is the best system out there and like it's going to be uh looking out for them unlike any other system Hundred percent. So I guess what I would say, do you have? Do you yeah, have no, let's no, let's no, hit tiebreak first. Yeah, you go. Well, no, I mean, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting like point that she's making, and like she's definitely like pushing the like limits as to like what the entire like purpose of cryptocurrency is. So I thought it was a good article. I mean, you guys covered a lot. Yeah, she's pushing the, she's pushing the envelope. I'm trying to find a way to collect it's, my. It's meant to, it's meant to for people to be like, oh, like whoa, like take a step yeah. back. Like she even like tweeted, it and she was like. Get ready for, you know, everyone to freak out. Like, so, I mean. Yeah, so I guess um, just for the sake of the panel, like, I agree with her kind of. And the reason I agree with her is because I hear your point, and that was my first thought too, is this idea that um, a decentralized monetary system that is meant to preserve value better than the additional alternatives, like fiat currencies, is not an illegal use case. And I would argue that it is a use case, but Jill is approaching this from the perspective that the speculation and the uh, hedging bets with Bitcoin and assuming that it's going to continue to preserve its value against the dollar better than any other alternative. She's assuming that that's not a use case. I think she's not, I think she's not taking that for granted. I think a lot of us take the digital gold meme for granted in the Bitcoin industry. And I think she's looking at it from a place of, and this is why I agree with her, Bitcoin's proven use case as a permissionless censorship resistant form of money has been tried and tested in multiple countries around the world. And it has been used to store value that would otherwise, and to, uh, you know, and to conduct transactions like on the Silk Road and in the black market in Venezuela that would otherwise be illegal under certain regimes. Um, it's still very young though. And to be frank, while it has performed better than any other asset over the past 10 years, we don't know if it's gonna be around in another 10 years. We think it is, and I hope it is. I believe it will be, but it needs to be a little bit older, I think, until we can say, all right, this is a hedge against inflation. So uh, let me let me just like chime in really quick. Bitcoin is money that works, and it's money that doesn't censor. So there are plenty of remittance use cases where people are buying gift cards, selling it on packs, packs full, getting the Bitcoin to their na- to their relatives, having the relatives sell that for local currency. That is a perfectly legitimate Bro, use I case. Bro, I know. I wrote the article. That's a it. completely <laughs> u- legitimate use case that's being used around the world that has nothing to do with breaking the law. Oh, it, it is, is breaking the law, though. No, it's breaking Nigerian law. And that's part of her point. But that's the thing. is like She wants people to realize that illegal doesn't mean bad, right? Like, illicit doesn't mean morally bankrupt. Like, it's, it's just like she's right in the sense that saying, like, most of what Bitcoin is used for in around the world as a legitimate means of exchange... Like it is being used to circumvent government sanctions, laws, 
all of these things. So like it absolutely is being used to break the law, but it doesn't mean that those laws are good or that they're well, like that they're good laws. I'm, I'm not like, you know, we could get into a whole sadist or whatever argument. But what I'm trying to say is that, again, like people using this asset for whatever reason, like to say that it is strictly about breaking the law, I think is is dishonest because it's not strictly about breaking the law. It is about using an alternative system. And if that alternative that. system enables you to break the law, that is a property of it. But yeah. that is not the primary use case. And I would say that there are plenty of hardworking people that strictly, they just need to use this system. They have no other system that uh, is accessible to them. And uh, like, again, I think framing it the way that she did, like she, it's clearly to get clicks. It's clearly to get attention. It's clearly to get this conversation. But it's I, I just don't think that it for, it is doing our industry justice in any way to even like remotely frame it. It's this, not an either or way. is what you're saying, which I was well, the first thing that I It's a better of... system. It's a better system and it, it is a freer system, okay? And that's what it does. I agree with that, Christian. Right, that's the one thing that struck me is like, so when I read it, my first thought was, it's like, well, Bitcoin doesn't care if you think that's what it's for because Bitcoin is, a new, is, is apolitical and agnostic. You can, so like what you were saying, you can use it for whatever you want. I would say that the majority of governments are breaking human law and common law by putting their citizens in that position. To and that make, Bitcoin they, is yeah. actually enabling just human rights. Well, that goes into the libertarian argument too, right? About like, what is legality? So, because you know, all these, these, these gang governments are breaking the law and human law. I have an analogy. All right. I think this article is the same thing as if someone were to come out and write uh, Tesla's autopilot is to allow commuters to fall asleep at the wheel, right? It's like that title and that article is not going to do Tesla any favors. It's going to make everyone look at Tesla and be like, holy crap, you know, you're trying to get everyone to uh, fall asleep at the wheel? Like, shame on you. But also, if you take a step back, everyone has to admit that, like, if you can now start doing other things while you're transporting one place to another, like, that's a great good for everyone, you know? This is the same thing. It's like, this is going to be used to commit crimes. Like, no, that's not the point. But being able to kind of do things that, you know, highlight your own universe, like a uh, uh, sovereign individual freedom, right? Like uh, uh, is a good thing. And, and we should be uh, for that. So, I mean, I think we kind of keep repeating ourselves now, but like, ultimately I think this was a, a hurtful attempt at trying to say something good for the industry. I don't even think she did any harm. I don't think she well, did either. I think it's a good conversation to open up, because like whether like I don't yeah, know, it like it just like reminds you what you're what you're doing. Like like dude, you didn't do this. Uh, you weren't doing this eight years ago. Nobody was, and like now you have this whole thing that like let people buy permissionlessly into shit coins, and you know permission permissionlessly send tokens to wherever, and like permissionlessly do things that they were never able to do because this didn't exist. So like. I would say it's a reminder. She didn't do any harm until Brad Sherman goes to Congress and holds up this article and is like, look, this is one of the people from the industry saying they're just trying to break the law. You know, like we're just giving them stuff that they want to use later on. Let them use it. That's what I have to say. All right. Yeah. What's the what's the next story? I think I think we all got our takes. Um, I actually want to say one last thing. Do it. I, for one, in the article, and I quote, do not want to live in a world where cryptocurrency has found mainstream use. That's the only thing in the article where I'm just like, I don't know. Like, she makes it sound like mainstream adoption of Bitcoin or cryptocurrency would be a bad thing. And I don't, she doesn't really kind of expound on that. And so I don't really, 
that's the one thing where I was like, well, if that's the case, then we might be living in a world with more responsible monetary policy. So like, I didn't, I thought, I, I felt that was kind means. of a weak argument. But what do you, well, I mean, I think, I don't know what else you do. Th- this has clickbait all over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it clickbait. I think that cheapens what she's talking about. Like, I think it's an inter- I think it is an important topic, like, because whether or not we want to admit it, the most impactful use case for Bitcoin right now is not us hodling it, but is people using it to subvert their government's unjust laws. So, but yeah, so she didn't say it like that. I mean, she kind of said it like that, but not really. But anyway. Well, I, I, again, I, I don't think that having an option and opting out is subverting. I just think that it is choosing to opt out. And I think that that is perfectly normal and i think it will become perfectly mainstream i guess what i'm saying is for the people we're opting out and it might not be subverting but i'm talking about people who are using bitcoin to survive because their money is worthless so like so i think that they're the ones who are being they're the ones who are being that are victims well that's what i'm saying but they're subverting their governments by using it like it's literal subversion i think we're going in a circle what's the what's the next topic the last topic is uh, using uh, David Morris's op- another op-ed for CoinDesk called The Year in Crypto Journalism, Truth Will Always Be Human. I wanted to use this as a springboard for uh, talking about the media's role in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency industries. Um, because I often find I agree with a lot of what David says in this piece. Uh, he's one of my favorite uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency writers. Uh, he's got a sharp eye and also is just a good writer. Um, but one of the things that he talks about is basically this idea that the, the cryptocurrency industry has this extreme disdain for journalism, like an almost like Trump esque, like everything is fake news that I don't agree with. Cause you can see it everywhere, man. Like it's like all, like a lot of Bitcoiners have it fucking ZZ with the block stuff. You know, I mean, like Ethan's all shit on on everything CoinDesk does. Yeah. If Lee Kuen comes out with anything related to Ethereum, they just immediately like, oh, it's so unfair. Like my unicorns, like they just automatically get really butthurt. So um, I think, in in you know, to immediately push back, I would say it. the crypto space, maybe more than any other industry ever created, has had the most amount of mainstream negative publicity and press pointed towards it. It yeah, has had a I lot. Mean, it ab- absolutely has a lot. And I think that that creates like an industry that's media averse. It's like if you want to add your your voice to why this whole thing is not going to work, join the club. 900 plus uh, uh, outlets have already said that Bitcoin is dead and, you know, you can see the gravestone, right? Like there is a fatigue around the negative news around Bitcoin. Like you could make you could you could fund and establish an entire outlet that only covers all the different scams that have happened in this space day to day and all the damage that they've done. It would be and a great like, podcast. It would be. I mean, like, you know, maybe we'll keep that in the back of our heads. <laughs> hey. But like, uh, uh, I think people are just so like, we don't, people in this space don't want to hear another story about why Bitcoin's going to fail or why it's But it's bad not even just about stuff like that, I don't think it's either I think that's the, that's the foundational layer. Everything is built up from that. Wait, hang on. Go, Tyber, go for it. Thank you. Uh, I think that the foundational layer, like the fundamental, like the base layer, is that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and like just whatever uh, cryptocurrency to like understand it, like to really understand it, which to I don't think any of us like really, really do is to understand so many different like complex subjects like economics, monetary policy, but then cryptography, computer science and all these different things like that big diagram that shows all these different things you have to know. 
And so I think that like humans and just like people in general, yeah, humans, wow, uh, have a tendency to like to talk about things that are really complex in a simple way because it makes them like maybe not feel better about themselves, but like feel like they have like a better grasp on something. And so I'm not pointing at us, but I mean like this is applicable to anything that's really complex. Like there's that one saying, I forgot or phrase that like, if you can simplify something uh, really easily, like a complex subject and make it simple, it's not like, that's not like, it's not a, that's not a truthful statement if you can do that. Um, and so basically like, because it's such a complex topic and whatnot, like journalism uh, jumps onto this because they're able to make all these claims because at the surface it oh, sounds what you're like you can expound anywhere and like run with it because it's all so like basically what you're saying is it's so complex and there's so many layers to it that you can take one thing run with it not and just do surface level analysis and then you can print the story and then it's out there and that's why people don't like it because it's treating a very complex subject in a very shallow way that's 90 percent of it and then 10 percent, which maybe you might think this is the greater part but the other part of it is that the people that read it don't the majority they don't understand this is why either. the actual industry thinks it's all bullshit and that's why like this dude i'm actually not sure what his point is i haven't read this article yet but the that's why like people have such a problem with the crypto industry is because 99.9 percent of it will read it the crypto media industry is that they'll read it and all think like wow this is legit this is this is the truth forbes wrote it you know this guy for whatever like uh you know, whatever website. And so we all think it's true when it's really uh, no one actually knows enough to discredit it. Right. And so what I would say too is like, so I agree with what you were saying earlier, Brandon, like we've had so much, like we've just been bashed over the head with mainstream media, just like uninformed takes of people who like, you know, cause like what, what were they doing? Like your Bloomberg's, your Forbes, your fortunes, your wall street journals, they were taking tech reporters and basically telling them it's like, Hey, this Bitcoin thing became really big overnight. Uh, we don't understand it, but you need to publish a story about this by tomorrow. Right. So like you're basically, words go. exactly like you're asking them to wrap their head around all of the stuff that you were just talking about for one story instantly. So like they're never going to be able to get it unless they really have immersed themselves in the industry. But I think the problem here is like there is very illegitimate news coverage about Bitcoin. Like all of the stories about the tether whale manipulation, like whenever a mainstream outlet got on that stuff, like that is actually, I would say, irresponsible journalism. You're not reporting anything that could be considered factual. Um, but uh, on the on the flip side of that, uh, it becomes dangerous when the entire community is kind of ossified um, and like or like their their ideas are ossified to the point of where they're basically. Uh, protecting themselves from any sort of negative news and calling it FUD because then it becomes very difficult to discern legitimate like legitimate news and legitimate criticisms and stuff that is just brain dead FUD. Totally. Right? And I think that's part of what um, David says in uh, this article. So I, I kind of have an interesting idea of, you know, this this whole paradigm that we find ourselves in. And I, I, I personally think that I never understood a subject so deeply as i now understand bitcoin and i never fully understand how bullshit mainstream media was until i understood bitcoin because yeah. almost every subject is as actually nuanced as bitcoin is yeah. every subject is incredibly nuanced and yet the the kind of the blanket statement news if you want to call it that makes everything a blanket statement so like if narrative journalism. If, if bullshit narrative journalism about Bitcoin exists, like think about every other nuanced subject out there that is being covered well, on CNN. Like it yeah. actually, for me, it really opened the light that 
There is just so much bullshit out there. And I personally, I don't mind the disdain towards journalists because I think that journalists need to earn their stripes and that yep. they need to prove themselves, yeah, but not the other way around. And then the second point is that I definitely think that the crypto and the Bitcoin space have homegrown uh, crowd-generated content down to a T. No industry is as good. It, it's a general trend in general, like YouTube, crowdsources con- crowdsource content in general is a, is a trend. But I mean, I feel like the crypto space is on fire with so, crowdsourced content. And there's really amazing articles and medium posts and blogs, high, high quality stuff that gets people BC jobs. I don't think that's journalism. That's quality. I don't know. I like. I think that your story based on um, that dude, Matt, who did the study on Paxful and, and, and uh, gift cards, I think he did investigative journalism. He's just a... a yeah, he I is, would agree with that. He that's, is strictly that's da- just that's, a... That's data journalism for so, sure. Yeah, so, but th- this guy is just an average Bitcoiner. If up? I can jump in, uh, Eric Weinstein, one of my favorite like kind of uh, people out there right now, kind of commenting on all this has this whole thread and uh like philosophy around something called uh uh, narrative journalism which was kind of sprung up in the new york times washington post 1980s where every story was part of a larger story and it was their job to thread all the stories together to create like a sensible narrative for people to digest it changed journalism from here are the facts think what you want to Here's the story. We'll spoon feed it to you. We'll tell it to you. This is what you need to think about it. And when that shift happened, uh, uh, and it's been only kind of become more extreme since then, it's now like the status quo of journalism. It's like, I'm not going to report to you what the facts are. I'm going to report to you what the facts are and what you th- should think about them. And that's where I think we come into the, like the, the biggest issues. It's not that you know Binance's office in Shanghai shut down. It's that Binance's office in Shanghai shut down, and that's a terrible thing for Binance, and they're covering up, and you know they're, you know, and like. But it's, the original story didn't say any of that. The original story reported the facts. I actually wanted to get to that really quickly, so I want well, to make this point. That's the thing is like he uses that as one of the examples, and like there's a big difference between holding journalists accountable and like so they used raid in the headline that was bad. Exactly, they shouldn't have done that. But my point is after that. Like, did you see Binance's, like, PR moves after that? Our offices are distributed. We don't have any offices. They just happen to congregate in this area. Like, it was it was doublespeak everywhere. Totally. You know? Totally. Like, I don't were... think Binance is in the right in all of this. But I'm also saying, like, don't be surprised when Binance tries to uh, cover their butt when this kind of stuff comes out. And don't be surprised when people are very hesitant to trust the news source over the company in this because we're in a space where the companies are trusted more than the news sources, especially Which is dangerous. Countries, uh, I think that's dangerous. Well, it, it, is, get, it is probably a bad thing. I'm not saying it's not a bad thing. Guess but who I'm gets saying, closer like, to the truth, though? I'm saying uh, uh, look at the... the crowdsource people. <laughs> yeah. Almost in my own ironic really statement, I'm saying look at the bigger picture. Look at the things that have come together in order to create this scenario that we're in now where all of a sudden, like, Every or like half the people in the space don't trust crypto journalism for its word, like uh, uh, or any journalism. Let's yeah. let's let's look at it's those those fine points. Let's critique those fine points. Let's figure out how we as Bitcoin Magazine and we as BTC Media can always be improving in a way where like uh, uh, we don't run into the same issues that these other publications are coming well, to. I think we do a great job. No, so I think we do, we do a great job. Uh, but this like goes into like what we were just like how Christian brought this. Our, one of us brought it up like in the beginning. Uh, this has made me realize like that any journalism 
is at the end of the day, someone's perspective on like a really, really complex topic that by default is like really, really simplified because you're writing this for, you know, millions of people. And God with forbid, the power of your brand behind it. And yeah, and God, for, and God forbid the, the writer gets really, really complicated and detailed. That kind of stuff never makes it out because that's too nuanced for the audience. Well, so it's also too, never... it's too detailed for the average reader too. Right. part of the problem. And the other thing too that I want to go really hit on really quickly because Brandon's talking about, you just mentioned brands. Um, Every and this is a consequence partly of the narrative journalism you're talking about, but I think more so consequence of digital media. Um, every online publication has an agenda, and they write from the perspective of that agenda. I've given pitches to non-crypto media outlets before, and uh, I was basically told, "Here's how you need to write the article." This doesn't fit exactly. in our editorial yeah. thesis. Exactly, that's yeah. the thing. So, like, the writers aren't even writing from their perspective; they're writing from the perspective of the, of the publication. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, you said that you think we do a good job compared to other places. We do the same shit. We're Bitcoin only. We're Bitcoin maximalists. Like our coverage, I love what we write and I love what we produce, but it is just seeped in Bitcoin maximalist bias. But <laughs> that's because we think that's what where the truth lies, right? So that's why we write that way. In the same way that someone writing for Vox truly does believe that the leftism and liberalism that they are promoting is the best way. In the same way with someone who's writing for the Washington Examiner thinks that the conservatism that they're advocating for is the best way. The same people who write for the Independent who think their moderation is the best way, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. So like it's all I think that part of your right to point out the narrative journalism thing because it does play into this trend of um, outlets don't report truths. That Sometimes is. they do as much as they report what their readers already want to read. Mm -hmm. Their preconceived biases, they're tailored towards that because they got to get clicks. They got to drive revenue. But I would also like I, I agree with everything you said. I would say and not trying to like pat ourselves on the back, but we almost always get the facts right in our stories and we almost always will not go any further than what the facts are like we're not jumping to these logical conclusions we're not saying we this is what the real story is but when we we're trying to just say this is the things that have happened uh uh and like here's the context and you know we kind of push it out that way and like you can look at some of our coverage around uh you know the Tether and Bitfinex stuff and how we treated those stories versus mm -hmm. how the greater industry at large treated those stories. Right. You can look at, you know, the, the, the hash wars and the forks and all that. Like, uh, uh, we, I'm not trying to say that we've done it totally right, but I'm saying like, there's a better way to do it than how the majority of outlets do it. And not just in our space, but in media in general. And I'm saying like, we're the first, you know, put a circle around us and call us a group, right? Like uh, as crypto people, like we're the first ones to be so unfairly treated by journalists and like the media industry at large, we're not going to be the last. And it, this is like a, a shift towards that mindset. First, yeah. Maybe we're not the first in like, in terms of, yeah, you know, you can say, you know, we're far from the first. I think it's every far right, five. far left. But I'm saying as an industry, at least as like, maybe not as a group of people, as an at industry. least right now, we're definitely one of the more maligned industries. Though. No, uh, I think that's a product of us being in our own industry. And of course, every industry probably thinks it's about their own industry. So I disagree with that. But, yeah. but how many Bitcoiners are going to turn around in, in five years without any changes say, actually, I'm an avid New York Times reader, you know? Yeah, but uh, or I actually, I'm an avid uh, Vox reader, even though Vox is called Bitcoin dead 30 times, right? Like it, it pushes you away from trusting these sources. And if you're a source of me, like if you're a media source, and you can't be trusted, you're not a media source. You're irrelevant. And like the, that's kind of the, the end yeah, of the Yeah, what, what's the last word? 
I mean, that is the Wait, last word. Okay, if that's the last word, break. I want to throw out like some random question that like I think we should all answer. Um, let's make it simple this time though. What's your favorite Bitcoin company and why? Oh, all right, all right. Can we do that? Let's go around. Oh man, what's my favorite Bitcoin company? Think about it. Like, just what's your favorite Bitcoin company? Right, I'm ready. I'm ready. This one's forth. easy. Unchained Capital, baby. Unchained is the sick. best. I, I, I recently said that they're the my favorite smart contract company, but they are just innovating on. Dude, um, David just got triggered. <laughs> no, they they are just innovating on multi-sig like no other. Yeah. Uh, like Caravan, um, Hermit, which is uh, their way of managing signatures. Uh, their, their normal product, which is collaborative custody, which is essentially you get two signatures to take out your funds, but if you want bank account-like security, they will provide a multi-sig signature. Like, it is just a true Bitcoin financial company. They're investing in open source infrastructure. They're just kicking ass, hiring great people, building up an amazing team in Austin. I love them. I think mine's probably Coinmetrics. Okay. Uh, I All love right. the data they publish. I think Nick Carter's realized cap uh, for Money. measuring uh, Bitcoin's actual market valuation mm-hmm. is brilliant as opposed yeah. to market cap. Like I just think they're always coming out with some really cool nuanced data. So I mean, I just I love seeing what they publish. Yeah, love it. I'll really? go edgy on mine. I'll say Bitfinex. Ah, okay. I think uh, uh, they've had to jump through more difficult hoops in order to continue to be a Bitcoin company than any other Bitcoin company out there. And like they've had the most pressure from outside to change everything they're doing and collapse. And like they're they're staying strong. And we should all be looking at Bitfinex as like a FUD, you know, FUD uh, repellent. Yeah. And I'm not even saying everything that's FUD against them is false. I'm just saying like, you know, if you look at everything that they've taken on mm-hmm. in the face, uh, uh, good for them. And Tether is a huge raging success. Yeah. And it's definitely a product that it's like a necessary, it's helped Bitcoin. Uh, mine would have to be, and I'm surprised nobody's, I mean, honestly, there's so many good companies, but Square Crypto, hands down, have to mention it's pretty them. cool. Uh, yeah. They've done like some really cool things that I don't think a Bitcoin company has done before. Um, and it's also partially because they're par- part of like the regular, um, you know, they're a regular company that like got into Bitcoin because of their um, love for it. But, you know, them fu- um, funding that uh, developer, I think they announced that yesterday, that anonymous guy. Yeah, I'm not sure what he's based account. out of. Doesn't have a Twitter account. Yeah, the one that is on Twitter is a fan page. Um, yeah, they're funding him to so he can quit his job and work uh, on Bitcoin full time. That's so cool. They gave a BTC pay server a bunch of money, um, and this is like one of those things that uh, I'm. To be honest, I thought Coinbase or a different company was going to do a while ago. So glad to see them do it. Um, Coinbase has found every way of dropping the ball for Bitcoin. Honestly, yeah, yeah, they were so they they could have been. Hey, they need an IPO and uh, cash out those early investors. Oh and uh, supporting Bitcoin does not is not very profitable. So you can't guess. Really blame them. I guess not. Well, anyway, I guess that wraps it up for this episode. Um, should we all show yeah, our yeah? Let's show our Twitter handles. Yeah, they'll they'll be here. Yeah, come sure. find me at Brandon underscore D underscore Green. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but then all the old videos will no Christians, longer show the right account. Collins, uh, mine, video man's gonna edit that in. Yeah, money. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> we'll this is y'all. We'll see you. We'll see you next week. <laughs>